When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. On this episode, an award-winning investigative journalist and best-selling author discusses how and why Donald J. Trump came to power, the powerful people behind him, and those who stand in his way. Trump is surrounded by Pompeo, who's CIA, and needless to say, intelligence agencies are, are against industrialists and, and isolationists. So you have all these people working with him, Abramses and Baltans, you know, who are traitors to, you know, to, to the idea of American Republic, okay? But he can't get rid of them because it doesn't matter who he brings in. And that's why you get all these leaks all the time. And that's why Trump is fighting on a hundred different fronts. This podcast is brought to you by Paranormal Contractors. If you have unwanted paranormal or demonic activity in your home or business, it's time to bring in the professionals. Call 1-866-724-0800. 1-866-724-0800. Or email them at paranormalcontractors at gmail.com. Paranormal Contractors utilize the latest technology to investigate, authenticate, and remediate your ghost or demon problem. Check out their YouTube channel, Paranormal Contractors, for things that go bump in the night. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. Pursuing the truth wherever it leads. Exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites. Revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality. Coming to you from his studio beneath the stairs, here's Richard Serrett. Welcome to your Friday. Well, he's written about the Bilderbergs, he's written about the transhumanist movement, and he's written about the Tavistock Institute. Now, he's got a brand new book out, In the Shadow of a Presidency, which seeks to explain why Donald J. Trump became president, why now, and how it happened. Daniel Eschelin is standing by. Christian Dicadieu from Paranormal Contractors will also join us for his regular Friday segment, but this time he'll be joining us from a very special location across the street from a very infamous house. In fact, when you think of the paranormal, what specific house comes to mind? Well, you'll have to wait and find out. On November the 8th, 2016, the seemingly impossible became reality. Donald Trump, billionaire, tycoon, won the presidency. Author Daniel Estulin argues that nothing about this situation was accidental and that behind this event, many interests are hidden. This volume asks, how did America get here? What is a truly democratic event? And above all, what are the interests behind the election of Trump? From his privileged status as a Russian ex-spy, Daniel Estulin dives into the long process that has led Donald Trump to the presidency. In the Shadows of a Presidency offers a behind-the-scenes chronicle of the actors, governments, companies, and institutions involved in his election. 
Daniel Estelin is an award-winning investigative journalist and best-selling author of The True Story of the Bilderberg Group, published in 64 countries and translated into 41 languages. He's given two speeches at the European Parliament on the Bilderberg Group and the international monetary crisis. In a front-page article, Wall Street Italy called Estelin one of the few people who understands the current crisis. In August 2010, Daniel was invited by Fidel Castro for a personal meeting in Havana after Castro had read Bilderberg. In October 2010, Estelin became the first journalist to give a speech to the Joint Chiefs of Staff of Venezuelan Armed Forces on global financial structures and the Bilderberg Group. He is the author of 12 books, five of them international bestsellers, and he has sold over 6 million copies worldwide. His latest book is In the Shadow of a Presidency. Daniel Estelin, welcome to Conspiracy Unlimited. How are you, my friend? It's wonderful to be back on your show, Richard. You and I go back a long time. It's always a pleasure. Indeed. Congratulations on In the Shadows of a Presidency. Thank uh, you, sir. Let me ask you, you describe President Donald J. Trump not so much as a person, but as a project. Just very, give me the the the, the Reader's Digest version of what you mean by that. <laughs> That's a 30-second version, right? You mean, we the Donald Trump uh, as the President of the United States uh, back in about the year 2014, it was the day of the day after the Dartmouth Conference, we were sitting around with the American delegates, and we basically explained to them that the next president of the United States, again, it's two years into the future, is going to be someone like Donald Trump, a right-wing conservative. We had another possibility. That was a left-wing liberal. But anyway, we fairly were fairly convinced that Trump would win. What we explained to the Americans back in 2014, that the 2016 elections would be the first elections that couldn't be controlled by other party spin machinery. They would be idea-driven. And that was why it was absolutely out of the question to assess the candidates' chances based only on pure political strategies because the machinery, though well-oiled, both in the Republican and Democratic parties, simply would not work this time around. And so the Americans sat there you know, contemplating what turned out to be prophetic words from us. So again, Trump is not a representative of the Republican Party. He is a representative of the alternative group of people, because if you think of the United States, both the Republican and the Democratic Party, and not only states, but in the Western world, is part of Bretton Woods liberal banking financier uh, uh, Wall Street controlled uh, uh, order. And Trump is the representative of the isolationists and industrialists. I think basically that that's how it works out. Okay. Now, I want to just circle back to something you said. When you say we sat down, are you talking about Russian intelligence? Who are you no, talking it, about? Uh, the the Dartmouth Conference, as you know, it goes back to the early 1960s, you know, Cuban Missile Crisis. It was a time when the Americans and the Soviets thought that, you know, the two of them sitting together and and, 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 and meeting, you know, getting some quality time and, and, and talking, you know, face-to-face would be a good way to, to you know, avoid and prevent nuclear, uh, uh, nuclear war. And so these conferences <clears throat> have been going on since the early 1960s. And, you know, uh, we would talk about the Bilderbergers and the Trilateral Commission, all these other organizations. But uh, the Bilderbergers and, and, and such, they've lost a lot of the luster because, again, they're part of this liberal order, which is now on its deathbed. But Dartmouth, thing, you know, thankfully, has maintained its, although, again, not too many people know about this conference, it has maintained its its its, um, its aura of, of importance. And so um, it's, a, it's a conference which was held the day off or the day after the midterm elections in 2014. I can't remember the date, 4 or 5 of November. And... Uh, the Republicans, of course, won. They swept uh, the the House and, and, and the Senate, and <clears throat> and uh, we were sitting around. We, meaning 
uh, people from the Russian government, you know, business community. There were people from the European, you know, Central Bank, International Monetary Fund. It wasn't the Russian intelligence alone. There were people, you know, such as myself, who are you know, the analysts in counterintelligence, counterintelligence. But uh, we're sitting around with the American delegates. There's about 30 of us. And we're talking, needless to say, about the elections. And needless to say, you know, between who won and who will win in 2016, we gave our theory that we thought, you know, this is going to be a very different type of elections and we're actually looking at three candidates one was Rand paul which we discarded fairly quickly because although he has the the political know-how he simply didn't have the business acumen to to win and then we thought you have the two extremes you have one which would be the right-wing conservative that's donald trump and left-wing liberal bernie sanders i think sanders would have won had it not been for the shenanigans within the Democratic uh, uh, caucus. But uh, in the end, Trump won. And, and again, it, 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 it was an easy call. And the reason that we didn't think that a Hillary Clinton or anyone related to the, I, I don't want to say the, 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 you know, the Democrats, because <clears throat> people tend to divide between the Democrats and the Republicans or the liberals and the conservatives in Canada. It doesn't work like that anymore. And that's what we explain to the Americans, because the entire Western system, in all of the countries, be it Canada, United States, Western Europe, it's all built on a Bretton Woods economic model, which was put together back in 1944. And that model is now dead because it's based on infinite growth. Right. And you simply can't have that. And we've reached the limits to that growth. So we explained to them no one from the liberal banking financier sector, and again, if you remember the Bushes, they voted. Bush is a Republican, and they voted for, for Hillary Clinton, and they openly said that they voted, not because they didn't like or dislike Donald Trump because of the you know his 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 personal antics towards Jeb Bush. I mean, that's, that's a silly cover story. The real reason is because all of these parties, you know, both in, in Europe and in the United States and Canada, they are part of the liberal banking financier order, which is now crumbling. And so it was easy to predict that because Clinton or anyone linked to that order couldn't win, we looked at the alternatives, and again, there were two, Bernie Sanders and Donald Trump. Now, I, I, we will circle back to Bretton Woods in a moment, but I want to I find out how you were so confident in who you who believed would you, in your certainty who, who would win when, for example, the mainstream media got it wrong, the pollsters got it wrong, everybody um, got it wrong. I mean, there were some of us who thought, no, this guy, you know, he has a chance and so forth. But uh, how did you, how could you be so certain? Well, first first of all, the difference between uh, the Western economy and, and the Soviet economy is that uh, we had, uh, we, have, we, are, we still have the language to explain what's happening in the world, whether it's in the West. And by that, I mean any country in the West, because the entire Western system think tanks, foundations, uh, uh, international banking uh, institutes, you know, uh, um, secret societies, private organizations, you know, governmental agencies, whether we're talking about Standard & Poor's, we're talking about, you know, Hong Kong, Shanghai Banking Corporation, Citi, Goldman Sachs, you know, the government agencies, you know, Federal Reserve, they're all part of a system now bankrupt. So they simply don't have a language to explain. And we do because our economy or economic model was based on, on on the teachings of Adam Smith and Karl Marx. And I know you're gonna you know you're gonna say that you know the Soviet system was inferior because it collapsed and crumbled. Actually it didn't. Why and who and where? It's a long story. It goes way beyond the scope of this interview. But I assure you that in 1991, just a few months before the system collapsed, uh, the Soviet Union was growing at about 10 percent per year. That's something that nobody wants to know, or, or people who do know this, they want to make sure that nobody hears this information. It was a, simply a system where 
the West and the East merged together to create this global system. Remember that back in the 19th century, we had four different economic models. That was the British model, uh, the Prussian, German after the war with France in 1870, the American at the end of the 19th century, and also the Japanese after the war with, with Russia in 1904-1905, which really was a continuation of what, what used to be known as the Meiji economic model from the 1860s. Then at the end of World War II, these four models became two, Western capitalist and Soviet socialist and the satellites. And then these two models between 1944 and 1991, they coexisted fairly well in some things, you know, such as uh, you know, lifestyle and comfort, the West was better. In others, such as, you know, social welfare, the Soviet Union was better. And demographically speaking, they're, you know, pretty much even, although, you know, we had 300 million people at the time and the United States about 220, 230. And then in 1991, these two systems merged. And so we went from four to two to one global liberal banking financier model. And basically what had happened was, is in the early 1980s, we had in the United States, what became known as Reaganomics. And the reason we had Reaganomics is because in the 60s, in the Soviet Union, in the 70s, in, in the West, we came up with a problem of limits to growth. The system was beginning to collapse. And in the West, they understood that and they knew how to solve this, you know, in introducing the, the, the Reaganomics, which basically was printing a lot of money and having people spend it. Okay. But that also comes at a price because people's lifestyles got better, but their salaries didn't. And so what had happened was at the extent of the Soviet Union collapsed or merged with the Western system, these two systems merged and the West got a new lease on life for another quarter century. But now, beginning in 2008, that lease on life ended and we saw that with the, with the Lehman Brothers collapse. Instead of trying to solve the problem in 2008, because we still, we had the instruments to actually get out of the problem and clean the system, they, they got it in, over their heads with another 70% of debt. And today, we're looking at staggering debt of four quadrillion dollars. I mean, you can't get out of this. I don't care what you do. You're looking at, again, four quadrillion dollar debt. That's four and uh, uh, 15 zeros. And so it's fairly obvious that anyone who understands anything about the economy understood that the people who run the world at a supranational level, let's not talk about presidents and prime ministers and democratically elected leaders and all that stuff. Okay, I'll just leave it at that and pretend we, you know, we, we, we take it for granted that, that, that that's not real. Okay, so it's fairly obvious that, you know, with the global debt at the time, 217 trillion, now I think it's like 235 or something like that. And the debt levels are about 325% of the world's gross domestic product. You know, US debt is at 22 trillion, European banks are leveraged at 28, you know, two to one, Federal Reserve at 77 to one, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So it was fairly obvious that no one who represented an old liberal banking financier model could win because that model does not produce growth. Right, it's post-industrial. It's, post it's, it's, exactly. it's well, currency actually, swaps. And, if you and, actually yeah. look, uh, Richard, between 1981 and 2018, uh, if you take all the money that they printed, you know, because again, the United States is the emission center. They printed a lot of money. If you take all that money that they printed out of the equation, actual growth of American economy between 1981 and 2018 is 0%. And the standard of living based on the salaries of the American workers is at the level of 1958. 
Okay, they're not going to tell you this information, nor are they going to tell you that there's 100 million Americans unemployed between 18 or 17 and, and 65 working age Americans. You know, they're going to trump the fact that you have 3.5% unemployment rate. There's 50 million Americans who are surviving thanks to food stamps. Okay, poverty is, is we've never had this, if you, you know, unless you go back to the Great Depression. Right, so okay? in other words, the, the, the Bretton Woods order monetary system that that installed the US dollar as the world reserve currency um, after uh, let's say the 1960s and we had this age of a very uh, you know very liberal trade policies and we had globalization the process of globalization we get out of this industrial age and now the people that are running the world they're not manufacturing anything they're not industrialists they're just moving paper around which is basically well, exactly, what a, a Harvard business degree gets you now is you, well, you learn exactly, how to sh shuffle again, paper. The, in the West, you see, in the Soviet Union, we studied politeconomy. And, and it was based on, on teachings of Adam Smith and Karl Marx, and, and they were very clear about limits to growth. But in the West, in the capitalist West, you couldn't have this. I mean, you can't have limits to growth. Because, you know, shareholders want to get more and more money. So they eliminated the polit side of it and they just created economics. Well, economics can't display the politics. And so when you take one out of the other, you suddenly realize that the West simply doesn't have the language to explain what's going on. And the Soviet Union and Russia today, we have the people who have been around for a long time, Again, because, again, the Soviet Union fell apart in, in 1991. That's a, a quarter century ago. So there's a lot of people who learned, you know, were born, studied uh, in, in universities, you know, were, were, were economists in the Soviet Union who today may be 60 years old, 50, 70, okay? And they understand how the economy works. And it was easy for us to tell, which is why, again, sitting there, the Americans were listening to us very, very attentively because they knew what we're talking about made perfect sense. Christian D. Cadieux, the real John Constantine. Welcome back to Conspiracy Unlimited. How are you? I'm doing well, Richard. How are you? Terrific. Now, I understand you're right across the road from a very, very famous location. Tell us where you are. I am right across the street and I'm coming to you live from the famous location of the massacre that happened that took place in Amityville, Long Island, New York. I am right across from the Amityville Horror House on Ocean Avenue and I am looking at it as we speak and I am right here. So I thought I would uh, come here and... Uh, Take a look, because I've always been fascinated with the story regarding uh, Butch DeFeo and what really happened here. Speaking of Amityville, because we, many of us are familiar with what happened there, I believe it was in the, the mid-70s, when um, a member of the DeFeo family suddenly uh, basically slaughtered his entire family. I think there were six of them altogether. Yes. That's one of the telltale signs that you may have paranormal, demonic activity in the house. Tell me about the sudden onset of uh, erratic behavior, suicidal or homicidal thoughts. You know, Richard, here, here's what it breaks down to, is that, again, all things considered, uh, without the use or the involvement of substances or certain types of medication or the abuse of any type of uh, narcotic or whatever the case may be, all things considered and all things equal, if you start to notice individuals within your family or within your household, you start to notice erratic behavior, such as suicidal thoughts, homicidal 
thoughts. Someone that is experiencing possibly homicide that might lead to a su- suicidal tendencies or homicidal tendencies, or they start speaking of it, and this is completely out of the blue, then clearly there's something going on. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean there's paranormal activity in the home. It could be, you know, it could certainly just be somebody wanting to uh, express themselves. But if it becomes a pattern out of nowhere, and this pattern progressively gets worse in the sense that the individual or individuals continuously to talk about suicide or homicide, then I think there's something is going on that requires attention. Whatever that attention is, I, I can't tell you, but there is a very good possibility that there is an evil presence within that environment. If someone believes they have an evil presence in their home or their business or other types of paranormal activity, how do they get in touch with paranormal contractors? If you want to get in touch with paranormal contractors, you can certainly do so by emailing us at paranormalcontractors at gmail.com or 1-866-724-0800 or you can contact me directly at 416-994-0777. Christian, thank you for this. My pleasure, Richard. Thank you. Check out their YouTube channel, Paranormal Contractors, for things that go bump in the night. The truth goes through three stages. First, it is ridiculed. Then, it is violently opposed. Finally, it is accepted as self-evident. Let me just read that again, what that means. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. Daniel Estelin, award-winning investigative journalist and the author of In the Shadow of a Presidency, is here. So, you understood at this conference that intuitively that the people may, while they, the American voter, while they may not have been able to, uh, to verbalize it or intellectualize it, at a certain level, they understood that America's, uh, this, America was on the uh, descent, and if they wanted to get back to uh, the, 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 the industrial age, to get manufacturing back, uh, to finally see increases in, in, in wages and so forth, Trump had to be the guy. It had nothing to do with the evangelical vote and what Supreme Court judges he was going to appoint. It was about putting America back in an industrial age. Is that fair to say? You actually brought you, you brought up a very interesting point about the evangelical vote. Um, as I said, you know, we went from four to two to one to zero economic models because there's no model right now. And so, whether it's you know between 1944 and 1991, you had the 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 capitalist West against the socialist East. As of 1991, the fight became a fight within the capitalist West between the financiers. Okay, these are the people who play with numbers on the computers, like the Clintons, okay? the Clint. Well, not only the Clintons, again, the Clintons, the Bushes, the the entire model because right. it's again it's with bread and woods on the one hand and the industrialist isolationists on the other and when 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 we talk about donald trump okay donald trump is not it's like you say donald trump equals united states you know uh, uh, trudeau equals canada donald trump is not equals the united states the united states equals the liberal banking financiers let's call them new babylon let's call them wall street call them whatever you want to call them. 
okay? But it's Trump is a different project. Behind Donald Trump is Black International. Black International is uh, blood and soil. Uh, Black International is the old royal families. It's the old, you know, landed aristocracy of Europe. It's the Rothschilds. It's the, you know, the the, the Windsors in England. The it's city the of Vatican. London. The city of London. It's it's the city, not London, because again, for the audience, they think London right. and city are the same thing. No, city is the epicenter of the British Empire. That's where all the money is made. London is a city. City is within the city of London. Right. Okay. Yes, the city. Well, actually, no, because the city is part of the liberal banking financier order. Okay. But behind Donald Trump. You have the Vatican. It doesn't mean that Trump works for the Vatican. I want people to think that. But Vatican played a very important role. And when I, you know, when I talk about this in interviews, I get a lot of a lot of email from Hispanic voters who tell me you're absolutely right because in our parishes, you know, our priest told us to vote for for Donald Trump. Okay, because again, Black International. When you think of blood and soil, you think of of, of national socialism. The nation you state. You think of the colors. You think you think of, of 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 Nazi swastika. You also think of of the Jesuit order, okay? Black and red because blood and soil is red and black. Soil is black, blood is red. This is the old landed aristocracy, the people who lose absolutely everything in this world if the world goes to hell, and they've been there for a long time. And the Vatican's part is not that the Pope is actively involved in this. It's just the Vatican part is, he. the Vatican is the manager of all these lands and has been for a very, very long time. So they have a lot to lose. And actually, if you look at Venezuela right now, this new you know, self-elected president, Juan Guaido, he's also the project of the Jesuits. Because he comes from the Jesuit schools, you know, he's backed by the Jesuit priest, just like Cuba and Fidel Castro. But you're not equipped. Okay, uh, and I, I know that people talk about the Catholic Church and the complicity during the Second World War, but I want to back up to something you said about equating blood and soil with the, the swastika. Uh, I, I mean, I, I, for me, nationalism is not a, a dirty word. I think that word has been co-opted. I, I, I believe in the nation state, but you're not equating um, you're not as equating Trump with the swastika and, and the no, Nazis. no, no, not at all, not no, at all. No, I didn't think all so. I just wanted is, you to clarify that. No, That's no, what. of course not. What I'm saying is, is that you're absolutely right. It's, it's a good point to make. Uh, when I say blood and soil, when you look at the symbols, signs and symbols, because you know. Uh, you, you do a very good show and you talk about the things that you don't hear in the mainstream media and one of the things you you know you talk about is is the things that go beyond what you know what you read in the newspaper and you hear in, in the mainstream periodicals and again signs and symbols is a very very important part of it when you're looking at colors for example okay you look at the uh, at the Russian flag you know our flag is not a, you know a three color flag this is masonry our flag is is a red flag which goes back to the Rurikovichs you know to Ivan Gross and Ivan, Ivan, Ivan the Terror and etc etc and you know we our country has been co-opted the same as all other flags in europe which has three color flags which is a masonic flag so when you're looking at again a blood and soil you're looking at the colors it's the colors of the jesuits black and red it's the colors of the of of, of a national socialism black and red it's, it's you know national identities is is not a bad thing but you're talking about the project the people in part, who are behind Donald Trump are the same people, the industrialists, who try to push their last project, which was Adolf Hitler. They're the same people, and they lost that project. They have been out of business for a very, very long time, and only beginning in 2008 will the collapse of the Lehman Brothers 
And when we realized that the entire Bretton Woods system on its deathbed, that these people were able to actually put together a candidacy and push it to the White House. And that candidate was Donald Trump. I'm not saying that Donald Trump is a Nazi. I'm not saying that he works, you know, secretly for, you know, for, for the Nazis or for Hitler. But the people behind the project, they're the same people who've lost the First World War and lost the Second World War. Because remember, the Rothschilds, they lost the two world wars to the Rockefellers. Okay? And the only after three generations were they able to find a candidate and push him through. They had two, as I said before, Bernie Sanders, which they couldn't push through, and Donald Trump, which they could. Okay. So having said that, as, um, as someone who resides in Canada— in close proximity to the United States, who would you rather have uh, elected? A, a Bernie S Sanders, a Hillary Clinton, or a Donald J. Trump? I would not, it'd be like, you know, asking me, you, you, would, would you prefer to be eaten by Godzilla or King Kong? <laughs> you know, I prefer not to be eaten by either one of them. No, but you know, well. But the thing is, is that, well, you know what? It's, it's, uh, um, um, just an aside, and it's an important point, uh, and I explain it in my book, In the Shadows of a Presidency, that Donald Trump really is the continuation of Barack Obama's second-term economic policy. Now, people don't understand. They say, well, this guy is insane. What's he talking about? Let me explain. It's important because, again, it just goes to show you that Obama understood in the second term what was going on. Now, what had happened was after the, you know, uh, the 2008 crisis is the global bankers, they realized that they needed to get their hands because they control all the emission centers. Emission centers are, you know, let's just say, these machines that print money. So they control European Central Bank, the Bank of Japan, uh, uh, International Monetary Fund, etc. So the only bank that they didn't control is the Federal Reserve. And so between 2008 and 2010, there was a lot of correspondence, and I show the documents and I talk about this in my book, where the bankers, international bankers, and American elite, they basically conspired to take the, you know, the, the power of the dollar out of the hands of the United States and give it to the Central Bank of Central Banks, which is, of course, Bank of International Settlement. And the whole thing was agreed on. Okay, and the only thing was needed for Obama, you know, to sign off on it. And then what did we have in the United States? The Dominique Strauss-Kahn case. Do you remember that? The president or the general director of the International Monetary Fund, where he was caught in a New York hotel. Yes. Let's just say with a woman of questionable standing. Yes. Okay. Okay. And then, you know, again, if you if you uh, if you look at the case, and if you people don't remember, you can go back and Google it. Dominique Strauss-Kahn. His last name is St. Clair. St. Clair, you know, if, if, if you saw the, the Da Vinci Code, uh, one of the oldest families in the history of mankind, going back to about 5th century. Okay? So this man, and again, the elite, you can never take him to court. You can never put him in prison because they play by a different set of rules. Okay? But there's Dominique Strauss-Kahn sitting in a courtroom for the entire world to see. And it was a message. Obama put, couldn't put him in prison, but he could certainly put him on the stand. And that was a, where he basically let the global bankers know that he was not going to let them have control of the United States dollar. And then the next year, immediately after that, he eliminated for the first time since Reaganomics in 90, 1981 from his economic council all the globalist members of international uh, monitor of, of uh, sorry of Goldman Sachs and J.P. Morgan. Then. In, uh, in uh, uh, 2014, we had uh, he stopped quantitative easing, and in 2016, we had Brexit and Donald Trump. 
And that's how uh, uh, Donald Trump is the continuation of Barack Obama's second term economic policy. Because, again, it's not a question whether I prefer Hillary Clinton. I think if we had Clinton, we would be in the midst of third world, uh, third world war, thermonuclear war. Because, again, <clears throat> one of the few ways we have to write off all these debts on responsibility, you can never pay that off. Four quadrillion dollars, that's four and fifteen right. zeros. You need a you war. You can't pay that off. You, need a, you war. need a war. Why? Because wars write off debts and responsibilities. Okay, because all the stuff you <clears throat> you live in out of somebody's uh, <clears throat> somebody's property, so you 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 wipe it out, and so we're right in the midst of the global thermonuclear war, and you know that would have meant four or five billion dead. Yes, they would have organized the entire world on a small scale, and people saying this guy is nuts, they would never do it. Of course, they would do it. And okay, and and that's why the Middle East is such an amazing place for the globalists because you have the Jews on the one hand, and on the other side you have the Arabs and oil. I mean, you can't think of a better combination. Okay, and that's why Trump again has been trying to extricate himself from the Middle East for God knows how long, and they won't let him get out because they need war. And Putin has also tried to get out, and he hasn't been able to either. Because if you remember in 2015 when he got in, then he tried to get out. Uh, they downed uh, over Sinai the uh, a, a Russian uh, plane full of tourists. Then the next year when he tried to get out, uh, you know the Turks downed Erdogan, uh, uh, Soviet Sohoi uh, fighter, you know. So they've been trying to get out of that thing as well, and they haven't been able to because, again, when you're looking at the conceptual level of the people who sit at this you know, power table and decide who gets what, and these people, as you know, exist, and we see them in show like uh, 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 Black Mirror and, 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 and uh, um, what's the other show called? Uh, um, I can't remember. I don't have television. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> but, but what you're saying is that the, the, <clears throat> the industrialists, the faction that is uh, under the capitalist umbrella that is fighting the, the liberal financiers, uh, they haven't. They don't have this locked down yet. There's still there are still these battles going around, around, and and you can witness this, for example, with Trump, who occasionally, you know, he surrounds himself with. It seems like all the wrong people. Uh, it's it, not that he surrounds himself with the wrong people. It's uh, Trump has the same problem. It's a very good observation, Richard. Trump and Putin have the same problem. You see, Trump and Putin, they're both right-wing conservatives. <clears throat> All the stuff about Putin is, you know, pickling Ruski, KGB, you know, who, who arrests you know, dissidents in the morning and, you know, kills them in the afternoon. It's all nonsense. Trump and Putin are both right-wing conservatives, okay? And and you could see that because when they get together, they have no trouble ag agreeing on things in five minutes. And that's one of the reasons why the deep state, as they call it, has been trying to keep these two apart. But Trump and Putin, the problem that they have is that they're surrounded by traitors. Putin has been around since the year 2000. Trump has only been around two years, but I'm absolutely sure if Trump could be around for another 20 years as president of the United States, he'll have the same problems as Putin. The team around him are all traitors because for the last three generations, Putin, Trump, and everyone else since 1944, okay, they've weaned this, uh, uh, this globalist liberal banking financier order. And that's not only on the level of, of you know, close political advisors. We're talking about banks, uh, think tanks, foundations, you know, ratings agencies. You know, people say to me, oh, you know, why doesn't Putin, for example, the general director of Russia Central Bank, they'll be, you know, an equivalent position to Powell in the Federal Reserve. She doesn't answer to Putin. She answers to Christine Lagarde of the International Monetary Fund. And I know people are saying, what? Of course, that's that's how it works. The, Russia's economic policy is not decided in Moscow at the, at the Ministry of the Economy. It's decided in Washington at, at, at the International Monetary Fund. You're not allowed to make investments in Russia in rubles. You have to do it in dollars. 
It's called Washington Consensus. We've been at it for 30 years. So if Putin, for example, tried to fire Nabi Ulin, that's the director of Russia Central Bank, and replace her with somebody who's a patriot, who, and we have a lot of people who are absolutely brilliant economists and who would you know, work for the interests of Russia, immediately, if Putin did this, uh, ratings agencies, you know, uh, whether it's Standard Poor, International Monetary Fund, they would emit a report saying that the person who is now in charge of Russia's central bank is absolutely incompetent, which means that uh, Russia's credit rating is going to be lowered to junk. And that means that as no corporation can have a higher rating than the national government, all the companies in Russia will be lowered to junk, which means that Russia as an economic <clears throat> structure would last about 24 hours before it collapses. Okay, so it sounds like you're saying, and I, I agree, that uh, I, mean, I look at someone like Putin and listen, they're, they're all thugs. I think we agree on that. But, uh, you know, it's not white hats and black hats. They're all gradations of gray. But I think you can make a very strong argument that that. Putin has been, for the Russian people, perhaps the greatest Russian leader since Peter the Great. It also seems to me that 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 there there is um, a natural alliance that, that could take place between the United States uh, and Russia. And so now, uh, as two you know right wing conservatives, as you say, so now in this light, the whole Mueller investigation makes a great deal more sense, doesn't it? Of course it does. Well, you know, it's, it's what you said about uh, Putin being the greatest leader since Peter the Great, <clears throat> they've been having for the past, I think about five or six years, monthly polls in, in Russia about, you know, the, the favorite leader. And today, 90 percent, 90, 90 percent of Russians, you know, prefer Stalin to anyone else. Not necessarily Stalin the person, but Stalin what he stood for, meaning personal responsibility. Okay, meaning you don't steal uh, uh, from 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 the people. Uh, uh, you don't lie. You you take personal responsibility with your life for your actions. Okay, and and that's what people want. They want this kind of you know hard. Uh, uh, let's call it uh, 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 Eastern despotism. Well, it's because, like again, if you talk to older West, Greek older Greek people, a lot of them they pine for the days of the junta. Because we're talking about personal responsibility, yes, yes. you know. So, so, so this whole thing again between uh, Trump and Putin. Trump, it's not only the people he brought with him to the White House. The entire system, because again, who's against Trump? You have uh, Hollywood, uh, Silicon Valley, intelligence agencies, mainstream media. Uh, you have Washington establishment. You have Wall Street. You have the you know financiers, the Rockefellers, uh, uh, the Soros's, etc. And most of these bureaucrats who've been there for generations, okay, at mid level, you can't fire them. You can't do that. And all of them, because they've been weaned in the liberal banking financier order, they will go out of the way to make sure that Trump doesn't get access to decent information. And Trump is surrounded by Pompeo, who is CIA, and needless to say, intelligence agencies are against industrialists and isolationists. So you have all these people working with them, Abramses and Baltons, you know, who are traitors to, you know, to, to the idea of American Republic. Okay, but he can't get rid of them because it doesn't matter who he brings in. He's surrounded by the same people that Trump that that Putin is surrounded by, and that's why you get all these leaks all the time. And that's why Trump is fighting on a hundred different fronts. And that said, and again, I want to make sure that people understand. I'm not saying rah 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 Trump. I couldn't care less. I'm not American. You know, I, I have no skin in the game with Trump. But I do understand as Russian 
that we need Donald Trump because, again, <clears throat> if Trump can help destroy the liberal banking financier order, then we, Russia, can survive as a nation state. If he can't and if he goes down, there's a very good chance that we will be you know, cut into smaller pieces as the Soviet Union was back in 1991 and Russia will you know, go the way of the dodo bird. Uh, with this in mind, how do we explain, and you were talking about those people that are lined up against him, uh, and there's this very strange pastiche. We have very unlikely alliances. For example, we have third-wave feminists aligned with uh, radical Muslims like Linda Sarsour. Uh, we have um, the socialist wing of the Democratic Party who profess to be a pro-worker, pro-working you know, um, pro person. How do we explain this strange alliance? Obviously, I guess they're, they're, they're just useful fools. They don't see the big picture. It's very easy. Anything but Trump, as far as they're concerned. Because, again, I'm not looking at, you see, what I do is I'm a doctor of conceptual intelligence, which means that, you know, I'm not on a street level seeing what the guy does in, you know, in the house in front of me. You know, we're, we're not a satellite uh, flying at about 200 kilometers, uh, uh, you know, over the planet Earth, taking in everything that happens at the same time. At the conceptual level, you decide the strategy and the models for the future of humanity, which is what we do. Because, again, if you go to the nitty-gritty, you know, everyday kind of stuff, you get lost in all the details, okay? We don't care about the details right now. We want to understand conceptually where is this going? Why is this happening in the first place? What's the reason, you know, for, for, for this, you know, free-for-all between all these different groups? And it's very, very simple because, again, the whole concept of nation-state is on its deathbed because it's based on a concept which no longer works. And you're seeing it in France because, again, what's it about? The middle class is disappearing, because the middle class, really, if you think about it, America's middle class, people saying 1950s, you know, little wife, little house, little, you know, backyard, you know, white fence, car. Yeah, that was then. It wasn't a real middle class. The middle class in the United States really came about after Reaganomics, when people got all this money to spend on buying stuff. Okay, so now today everybody has a computer, a laptop, you know, an iPad, everybody has, you know, an iPhone. Uh, there's like three, four, you know, big screen television sets in the house, two, three cars, a house, you know, another cottage, maybe a boat. But all that stuff has to be paid for. And that's why in Canada, for example, as you well know, for every dollar people earn, they owe a dollar seventy one. That's one hundred and seventy one percent. It's unpayable. Okay, which means that all these bubbles, whether it's the housing bubbles, the bond bubble, the derivatives, this whole thing is going to collapse. It should have collapsed in 2008 and it did. They tried to paper it over and they used all the instruments at their disposal to save the system. But instead of cleaning it up, they made it worse. And now they're out of instruments. There's nothing left, which is why they're trying to find a new model and to find a new economic model. Okay, it's not something you go to McDonald's and you know and ask for a hamburger and they whip it for you, in a, you know, in 30 seconds. To do a new Bretton Woods or a new Yalta agreement, that takes years of everybody working together, and you don't have that today because the concept of nation state, you know, is collapsing all around us. Again, what's nation state? Countries between uh, 1648, the Westphalia Agreement, to the late 1960s of the 20th century. Let's call it Global 1.0, as Catherine Austin Fitz calls it. Yes. Okay. And then in 1968, the Bilderbergers met at Montreal on the outskirts of Montreal in, in, in Quebec, Canada, and they talked about, and they are now this new thing, okay, and again, I have it in my book on the Bilderbergers with the documents and everything, where they created this concept, One World Company Limited. 
private corporations that have more power than most governments on the planet, Goldman Sachs, etc. That was global 2.0. Now, we're in the post-industrial world, world of networking, where it's no longer the energy of oil, but the energy of information. Okay, it's a different world. It's post-industrial. It's fifth economic development. And so the United States has an option. You go to, you know, thermonuclear war and you rearrange the world. And you again, you, you basically clean, you know, just overturn the table and start fresh with a much smaller population base, which is, again, is, 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 a, is a viable option for them. Okay. When you China say them, when you say them, you mean the, the liberal. Globalists, the whether again, right. it, uh, when we're talking about at the supranational level conceptually. Right. Okay. I'm not talking about Trump. I'm not talking about his generals. You know, they're just pawns in this game. Supranational. We talk about the deep state. Okay. It's it's an option as far as conceptually is concerned. Another option is to rearrange the world and go to six technological advancement. That's uh, and big nanobioinfocognite, transhumanism, posthumanism, etc. That's another option. They could do that. But for them to do that, Trump has to win. And that's why we're seeing the separation between China and the United States. All this talk about, you know, the, the hostilities, it's all nonsense. Okay, this trade war doesn't exist. In 1979, the United States and China, Jimmy Carter and Deng Xiaoping signed a secret agreement. It was 20 years plus 20 years. And then in, in, in the 1990s, uh, Clinton extended it in the, the second 20 years. And it was a non-hostile, non-intervention military agreement. And that agreement came to an end in January 2019. And so Trump, when he's saying that we're very close to a new beautiful agreement with China, he wasn't talking about trade agreement. Okay? He was talking to the people who understand that he was talking about this other agreement where the United States is going to go America's way, shut the door, okay, my castle, my home, you know, make America great again, okay, and China, because again, the energy is going from Atlanticism to the Pacific region, is going to control their area. And so you have an exchange of areas of influence. The Chinese are going to have two contour system, meaning uh, uh, gold uh, backed by by or by by yuan and 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 uh, electronic currency to write off you know this this enormous bubble of four quadrillion dollars because you can't do it with, you know with with physical bars of gold, okay? And the Americans get uh, South America, thus the Monroe Doctrine, thus Venezuela, and the Chinese get the two Koreas. And the two Koreas are going to merge into one Korea with the North, you know, being the military powerhouse and the South being the, uh, the, the, the technological powerhouse. And you can have one super Korea working together with the Chinese, probably Russia and Japan in the new economic union. So if okay, Trump, this is what's coming. OK, so this and how do you gauge the success of the uh, the Trump project then so far? I mean, is it is is, the, is it going good. to prevail? Is it going to prevail? You know, I I don't know. It's it's uh, you know, uh, Trump has you know he's received more flag than any president I think in the history of the United States. You know that said, I mean he has this entire establishment. You know the media, the intelligence agencies, Wall Street. You know the bureaucracy of Washington. All of these groups are against Trump. But again, people are saying, well, Trump is insane because you know he's fighting Canada, he's fighting Europe, he's fighting Germany, he's fighting you know France and England. You know he insults the General Secretary of NATO. You know he sits there and you know and and and, and gives you you know gives him the finger at the G7 meeting. He does that not because he's insane because I think he knows he understands this entire thing better than most of us, but because all of these countries systems and structures and organizations such as G7, uh, a NATO alliance, European Union, etc., they're all part of the liberal banking financier order. 
you know, Canada, I don't care if it's Trudeau or whoever it is that they have in the Conservative Party, whether it's May, whether it's Macron, whether it's, you know, uh, uh, Merkel, you know, Chancellor Merkel in Germany, it makes no difference at all. All of these organizations are part of the global liberal banking financial structures, which means that Trump's enemies and he must destroy them. Because the way the game is right now, either he wins or they win. You cannot, you can no longer divide the world. There's not enough. It's like in the Highlander, only one can survive. And that's what we're seeing right now. And Trump has done a very good job. Again, I'm not a Trump supporter. I couldn't be. I'm not American. But, okay, as an analyst, you could tell that Trump has done a good job, which is why you have all this hatred. You know, incredible hatred from the media, from the intelligence community, you know, from 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 Mueller's investigation, which is, of course, a bunch of nonsense, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The people that they have, you know, throwing that you know, proverbial hat in the ring as Democratic candidates, they have zero chance of winning against Donald Trump. OK, but again, what the liberal banking order have, they have a joker card and that joker card is the economic collapse. OK, they can destroy the markets anytime they want. And when that happens, you know, all hell is going to break loose and who knows what's going to happen. How do we get a, a copy of in, a, in the Shadows of a Presidency? Um, there's three ways. The easiest, probably, um, you go to Amazon.com and you can get it from them. Uh, but much better way, I mean, I have books and if people want an autographed copy, they can uh, uh, email me at uh, daniel.estulin.es at gmail.com. They can also follow me on Twitter. And my Twitter feed is at Daniel, or they can get it directly from my publisher, trynday.com. But of course, you're not going to get a signed copy. But if you do want a signed copy, just uh, email me at daniel.estuline.es at gmail.com. Daniel, a great pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for the invitation. All right. Before I dim the lights in my little studio beneath the stairs, I'll be back with a few words on what's in store for the next installment of Conspiracy Unlimited. If you're a fan of this podcast or my weekly syndicated radio program, The Conspiracy Show, why not consider becoming a supporter? Go to patreon.com forward slash strange planet. That's right. We've changed the name of our Patreon page. Patreon.com forward slash strange planet. And check out our three support tiers. The Truth Seeker tier, the Whistleblower tier, and the Star Chamber tier. Donors can receive access to an exclusive monthly Google Hangout on air or a monthly live chat with me. You can also be eligible for a monthly draw and a chance to win Conspiracy Show and Conspiracy Unlimited merch. Patreon.com forward slash strange planet. Patreon.com forward slash strange planet. Your support is greatly appreciated. Coming up on Monday, are ETs healing humans? The answer would appear to be a resounding yes. In his landmark book, The Healing Power of UFOs, leading UFO researcher Preston Dennett presents a fascinating compilation of more than 300 cases of people who have been healed by extraterrestrials. Until next time, I'm Richard Serrett. So long for now. A new Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at ConspiracyUnlimitedPodcast.com. Blow your mind. That is all for now. Oh, and remember to share and give a five-star review because we have huge egos and need love.
We're like cats. We need... We need constant petting. <laughs>